So, uh, so this morning, I kind of want to share or really confess uh, something that happened a long time ago. And I'll be honest, even some of my closest friends don't know this story. And the reason they don't know it is because it's very, very, very embarrassing. This happened about 29 years ago in this very room, like the same time of year, right here at Christmas, in this very room, right where the eye desk is. And if those of you that have been around for a while, that used to be like a serving window from the kitchen. And this was a gym back 29 years ago. I was in fifth grade, and I was standing back here with a friend of mine, uh, Melissa. And Melissa was also in fifth grade, and Melissa was a lot cooler than I was, which didn't take much to do uh, in fifth grade, but she was a lot cooler than I was, and she did. She was just a natural, cool person. Like, we were at school together, and all of, all of the people would like to talk to Melissa, and here at church, she was part of our church as well uh, in fifth grade. People liked to talk to her then as well, and I'll be honest, there was just... She was a friend, but it was one of those things where I was always, I felt threatened and challenged by her because people really enjoyed being around Melissa. And I remember we were standing right there at the eye desk and it was actually at like a Christmas thing, a Christmas social thing that we had going on here. And it was a bunch of kids running around the building. I think the adults were in the fellowship hall. And, and she was just telling me about this party that she got to get that she's going to get to go to and it was a party that I really wanted to go to as well and she just kept talking about how much she wanted to go or how much she was excited about this party that I really truly wanted to go to but was not invited to go to and I could feel it in me right just this 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 something this irritation just welling up inside of me and, and I don't know if you've ever had one of these out-of-body experiences before where it's literally like you're, you're it's almost like you're watching yourself react and it was like in slow motion in fifth grade I'm looking at her and I just rear back and smack this girl right across the face yeah like gasped I know that's why I haven't shared this story in 29 years <laughs> just slapped her across the face and the aftermath of that reaction as you can imagine was very fierce now why do I share that story it has to do with what we're talking about today we're in a series called the blank that stole Christmas and today I want to talk about the fact that and, and we even said this last week that nothing really can steal the truth of Christmas that Jesus came he was born of a virgin he lived on this earth he died a, a, a punishment or a criminal's death he took the weight of all of our sin upon himself was buried rose again and is now seated at the right hand of the father and nothing can take that away that that is truth but for a lot of us, it's easy for us to not live in the reality of Christmas. So what is the reality of Christmas? The reality of Christmas is that Jesus has come to set us free from the penalty of our sin and to set us free from the power of our hang-ups. And boy, do we have hang-ups, right? 
In fact, this time of year, I don't know about you, but for me, this time of year really highlights my hang-ups. It highlights the things that get me tripped up. But the response that Jesus desires for us this Christmas, the response that he desires is this little word that's sitting right behind me. Joy. That God desires for you to have joy in your life this holiday season for what he's done. Yet, let's be honest. It's so easy for that to get stolen. It's so easy for that to get stolen away from us. And that night, 29 years ago, right back there, Christmas was stolen. In fact, when my dad found out, Christmas was canceled. No, (laughs) just kidding, just kidding. But what stole Christmas for me that night, and maybe maybe what's stealing Christmas for you right now is this little word inside. And it's this one little word that rises up out of the shadows of our heart. Its goal is to isolate you from every relationship you have. And once it gets its fangs in you, It infects you. And if you're not careful, it has the potential to make you the villain of your own story. I want to talk this morning about the insecurity that stole Christmas. The insecurity that stole Christmas. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. You know, a lot of times when you think of the Christmas story, you think of Luke chapter 2. Like most people, when they think about Christmas, they're going to quote to you Luke chapter 2. But Matthew chapter 2, there is a powerful message there when it comes to this this wonderful time of year that we call Christmas. So look with you in Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Judea. Now, that that one little phrase alone packs a lot because we know a lot happened around Jesus' birth, right? I mean, in Luke 2, it tells us, like, angels showed up, shepherds showed up. It's this very positive story, right? Like, it's, it's affirming. Every time I hear somebody reading the Christmas story, I just, I get excited. Like, I just get this feel-good feeling inside when you look at Luke chapter 2. But Matthew chapter 2 is also a part of the Christmas story. And to be quite honest, it has a lot of negative things that happen. In fact, for a lot of people, the first Christmas in Bethlehem, for a lot of people, was completely stolen. A lot of people had a very difficult time their first Christmas there in Bethlehem. And, it was, and what we're about to see is it all revolves around this one guy. This one guy that created a lot of problems for them. Look with me at verse 1 again. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod the king. Herod the king. And some of us kind of know where we're headed this morning, but I want you to kind of just erase everything you know about Herod so far, and I want to kind of lay the groundwork for what Herod was really about. Herod the king was also called Herod the Great. Like That's his title in history. He was uh, considered great. And, and let's be honest, like, again, erase everything that you know about Herod right now and think about this with me for a second. Herod was truly, by the world's standards, great. He wasn't born into kingship, but he acquired it through how good he was at maneuvering himself. Like in the middle of an empire where 
where emperors are getting stabbed left and right. You know, Julius Caesar's already died here at this point. In the middle of all of that, Herod knows how to manipulate himself into situations and actually gets him to a place where he's the king. He's a master military guy. You had these people called the Parthians that kept trying to come into Israel, into Palestine, and he was very good at dispensing them, like moving them off, right? He also was a great builder. In fact, if you go to Israel, you'll find out really quick, this is like the thing that Herod is known for. Because everywhere you turn in Israel, if you ask the question, who built that, Herod? Who built that, Herod? Who built that, Herod? Herod builds these incredible things. In fact, he builds this place called Masada, which is a fortress. And this is kind of a a rendition of what Masada would look like. A lot of the ruins are still there, but you see, like, I don't even know how you get stone and how you get all of that carved up this high up the mountain, but the the fortress was basically impenetrable. This is just one of his great things, but the greatest thing that Herod did as far as building goes was the temple. He rebuilt the temple for the Jews, for the Israelites, and this is a model of what this looked like. And it was record time. Like for some of you, you're having a hard time getting your basement finished downstairs. Herod knocked this project out. Like there's estimates on how long it took, but every estimate that you find on how long this project took, man, was just record time, record, record speed. In fact, if you want to think about it in comparison, there's this place called the Dome of the Rock in Israel. That's it right there. You maybe have seen a picture. In fact, if you go to Jerusalem or you type in Jerusalem and try to get a picture, this is the thing that towers above everything else in the city. It's, it's the people of Islam. It's their temple there on the Temple Mount. And we were there in Israel, and one of our guides actually explained to us how big Herod's temple is compared to the Dome of the Rock. Look at this picture here. It's hard to see. But that's the Dome of the Rock down there. Look at how much taller, how much grander Herod's temple would have been. This massive, massive accomplishment. Herod was a master builder. And Herod the Great, if I'm going to be honest, lived up to his name. But then you have here in verse 1, look at what it says. Behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now here's the thing. When you go into a palace and you ask, Where is the king? The guy sitting on the throne is going to be disturbed by that, right? This is what you have here. And what's interesting is listen to the words that the wise men say. Where is the king born? Where is the king born of the Jews? What what are they saying there? They're saying this is the guy that has the rightful place, right? The, The guy that's come, the king that's born, has the rightful place to be king. He has the credentials to be king. But remember, Herod did not, right? He maneuvered and manipulated himself into that. So think about that for just a minute. We already know where this story's headed. Look at verse three. When Herod the king heard this, comma. Now, we've talked about this before, but I love the use of commas in the, uh, in, in the Bible. I love them because they always signify some incredible thing happening behind the scenes. Herod hears this news, and in the comma, 
The wheels of his heart and his mind begin to turn. Everything is in the comma. The minute he hears the news, what is the comma? The minute back there at the old eye desk that I heard what I heard and their comma represents what's going on in the heart of me and in the heart of Herod. And it's the same for every single person in this room. What is our reaction What is our reaction when he gets the promotion over us? What is our reaction when she seems to have lost 10 pounds over Thanksgiving and we've gained all of those pounds, right? What is our reaction for those friends that just got a brand new house? What's our reaction when that brother of ours gets the brand new truck? What's the reaction when our five-year-old destroys something in big lots? What is our reaction when these things happen? Our reaction shows us what's really, truly in here. You see, a lot of us have done a great job of learning how to hide our, our, our stuff, our insecurity. We've learned how to hide it well in social situations, right? Except, except when there comes a comma like this, a moment like this, our reaction tells us what's truly in our hearts. Reactions show our insecurities. They show us the areas in our life where we are insecure. And Herod was truly great by the world's standards. But even greater than his building and all of that was his insecurities. Look at this great insecurity revealed here in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Now that's one of the great understatements of the Christmas story right there. And all Jerusalem with him. Now some of you are like, well, why is Jerusalem, why are they upset about this? I'll tell you why. Because they've learned, because of being around insecure Herod long enough, that anytime insecure Herod is upset about something, it causes them to be upset about something because he normally does rash things. And so all of Jerusalem is troubled because now this king, this insecure king, is upset again. And we know where that's going to lead. And so all of Jerusalem is upset at this. Herod's perfect little kingdom was in jeopardy. His perfect little kingdom was in jeopardy. See, he had done such a good job of creating this kingdom to kind of cushion and mask all of those little insecurities that he had. In fact, if we're going to be honest, insecurity's best mask is perfectionism. Insecurity's best mask is perfectionism. He had built a remarkable kingdom to hide what was truly in his heart. And if I'm going to be honest, I think a lot of times we do the same thing. We have our kingdoms of insecurity, don't we? In fact, think of this, the kingdom of position. For some of us, it's the kingdom of position. This idea that I must be noticed. I must be noticed for what I've done. I need, I need this status of where I'm at. If you're a single person in the room, maybe you're struggling with this idea of I want to move from singleness to marriage and I want to to have this position. 
this position in life. I want to be the dad that everyone looks up to, right? It's this, this kingdom of position that we must be noticed. For some of us, maybe it's the kingdom of possessions. The kingdom of possessions says, I must have you fill in the blank, right? That we find our ways of getting our worth out of the things that we have. And we all fall into these traps, don't we? We fall into the traps of thinking that if I just get this, we might not say it this way, but if I just get this thing, I'll feel better. In fact, for some of us, it's that moment, right? It's that moment when we click check out or purchase now. That feeling of, hmm, that feels good. And you know what really feels good? When the FedEx guy comes knocking, right? And that package comes through the door. It's like, yes, right? This kingdom of possessions. Thirdly, the kingdom of power. For some of us, our insecure kingdom is the kingdom of power. I must be in control. I must be in control. In fact, anybody, any of my close friends know this is the one that I struggle with the most. And if you're in the room, it could be something as big as just running, running people over and railing people over. Or it could be something as small and as innocent looking as a friendly game of tennis that goes south and you break your racket, right? It's this idea of competition. It's this idea that I must be in control. I must be the best. And we find that we, a lot of us, we get our worth from these things. We get our worth from position. We get our worth from possessions. We get our worth from how much power we have. And this is what we see in, in Herod's life. My question to you is, what kingdom are you building right now in your life? Herod doesn't want to lose any of these kingdoms. So look at what he does. Look at verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, we see this here. Herod's paranoid feeling is researched. Herod's paranoid feeling is researched. And let's be honest, we see this all the time in insecurity, don't we? Insecure people always seem to be paranoid. They always seem to be paranoid. Are you talking about me? In fact, we, me and Brian, um, our, Brian, I don't know why I called you that. Um, <laughs> sorry. Me and my dad talked about this this week, that sometimes it's funny. We'll be up here and we'll preach a message, and then someone will come up to him or me or Gary, and they'll, get, they'll be mad at us. And they'll be like, why are you telling people my stuff? I'm like, we're not talking about you. But, but what is it? It's this paranoia here of maybe, maybe, maybe they're talking about me. This paranoia, insecurity, listen to this. Insecurity always demands to be in the know. It always demands to be in the know. They want to know stuff. In fact, if you're, I'll just say it, if you're an eavesdropper, you've got some insecurity there. Because insecurity, this is how it plays out. We want to know so we can verify if we're the topic of the discussion, for good or bad. And this is what we see playing out in Herod's life, and this is what might be playing out in your life today. Look at verse 5. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I love this verse because Herod's wondering where this guy is or where he's coming from or what he's about. And he, get, he gets this verse. It talks about a Messiah, a king that's coming that's not only going to rule like Herod's ruled, but no, he's going to be a better ruler. He's not going to just rule. The phrase there is he's going to shepherd his people, the exact opposite of Herod. This is a guy, the, guy, the king that's coming is a king that is going to be perfectly secure in who he is. He is going to rule well. And he's going to shepherd and love the people that he rules. Complete opposite of Herod. But when Herod hears this, he hears this news. Look at what you see happen. This deceptive plot is raised. This deceptive plot of Herod is raised. Look at verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying... Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, everyone in this room is thinking the same thing. Liar! Like, you're still lying right now, right? He's lying. He doesn't want to worship this king. But here's the thing. Before we, before we bust Herod for his lies, I want us to think about how this insecurity plays out in our life. For some of us, and this is probably the most innocent example I can think of, I don't know about you, but my hearing is not what it used to be. I've been to too many concerts, too many, too many worship events and, and things like that, too many movies, too loud in the house, that my hearing's kind of going bad. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but like, have you ever been in a conversation and someone in the big circle over here says something funny and everybody starts laughing and you start laughing, and the guy beside you says, hey, what do you say? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm just laughing. What is that? Have you ever thought about this? What is that that makes us do that? I've had people come up to me before and say, hey, do you know Billy Bob? Here, here's Billy Bob. And what do, what do we tend to do a lot of times? Yeah, I, th I, think, I think I've met you before. You look real familiar. And, and I'll be honest, sometimes, and, and again, this is a lie. Sometimes it's like, I don't know Billy Bob from Adam. Why is it that we feel like in those moments that we need to know? I had a friend the other day, he came into the office and we were talking. And I'll be honest, it had been a stressful week. And, and uh, he had said, he had said, he asked this question and it kind of took me off guard. He said, what books are you currently reading this week? And literally in that moment, my mind is just categorized because I'll be honest, other than the Bible, I hadn't read anything that week. And what was my mind trying to do? Now, thankfully, I didn't lie to him. I actually said, nothing but the Bible, buddy. It's been a crazy week. But what do we tend to do in those moments? We tend to be tempted with lying. And for some of us, we do. We, we lie about it. We embellish a story, right? We embellish a story that we're a part of. Why? Why do we do these things? You see, there's a lying link to insecurity. And it can be something as innocent as embellishing a story, or it can be something so big that all of our life is characterized as, as a liar. 
Someone who just lies about stuff to look better. Insecurity can make a fool out of you by making a liar out of you. Insecurity will eventually make a fool out of you by making a liar out of you. So the wise men, let's get back to the story. The wise men, they leave and they go find Jesus. And and here's what we're going to do. We're going to come back to these verses. So just bookmark this for a minute. We're going to come back to these verses. But at the end, after they visit Jesus, look at what you have here. You have this divine plan that's recorded here in Scripture. And this is the part I love because this is the part we see the gospel. This is the part we see God working in the midst of all of this. What we find out is that Herod is just a pawn. He's just a pawn. God steps in. Look at verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the wise men departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said... Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. What's, what's the point of this passage? It's, it's very clear. God's plan cannot be stopped. And man, if you, if you don't remember anything about the Christmas story, this is what you need to know. That God's divine and sovereign plan will not be stopped by some insecure king. In fact, I love this. I had some time to study this passage pretty hard this week and, and last week. And what I love about this passage, and these, there's these little things all throughout it. One of the little things that I find interesting, and I have just a second to talk about this, is, is, is Herod. Herod is actually a descendant of Esau. He's a descendant of Esau. Now, if you remember the story of Jacob and Esau, who does God choose? He chooses Jacob. Now, this is kind of deep and kind of interesting, but the divine plan of God, all the way back to Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is to choose Jacob for the line. And what is God doing right here as well? He's not choosing Esau again. He's not choosing Herod. He's choosing the line of Jacob again, this king that has come. And this is what I love about God, that from the foundations of the world, God has a plan. His sovereignty goes far beyond the workings of any human being on this earth. R.C. Sproul has said this, There is not one piece of cosmic dust that is outside the scope of God's sovereign providence. What does this mean? It means this. Your insecurity is not going to cost God anything. He will do what he has purposed to do. But here's the question. What is your insecurity costing you? We see this in the story of Herod. Look at what it takes Herod to do. This misplaced judgment realized. Now, Herod doesn't realize what he's about to do. But every reader of this story knows that this judgment is misplaced. In fact, everybody in the room that's ever even heard of Herod, you know him for something else. This is what he's famous for. Not the temple, not all that other stuff. This is what most people know about Herod. Look at verse 16. 
Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping aloud and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Can you imagine? Can you imagine such a terrible Christmas? To be there in your home with your family, and all of a sudden, that family is shattered. Herod's insecurity completely stole Christmas for a lot of people and a lot of families What insecurity is stealing your Christmas? Maybe the question is this. What insecurity is stealing Christmas for others? In fact, I want you to look at this, this blank right here. Man, may it, it was one of those moments in my life where I started thinking this, me, this week. Has my insecurity caused me to be the name in the blank for someone else here in this room. Has my name in this blank caused me to steal Christmas from my children, my wife, my friends, my family? What, in, what is your insecurity costing you and what is your insecurity costing others? You know, for a lot of us, the anger we feel in our insecurity is totally misplaced. And we take it out on others because we think it's about them. And we will misappropriate all kinds of hurt and judgment on people, leaving a big mess in our wake. So for some of us that really truly just want to be free from this, how do we identify the problem of insecurity? How do we do that? First thing is we have to realize that they are not the problem. They are not the problem. The real dilemma is that I think you are my problem. The real dilemma is I think they are my problem, that the object of your insecurity becomes that person that has more than you. And what do you do with that person? What do you do with that person that you feel threatened by in your insecurity? You avoid them. You struggle to hear them be praised. In fact, for some of us, we subvert that, right? If someone's getting, giving credit to this guy, what do we say? Yeah, but did you know this? For some of us, we celebrate any failure that they have. And we carry this resentment. And it's not even about them. We carry this resentment because we're insecure. But what can they do to, to not make you feel insecure? What can they do? The only thing someone can do to help your insecurity is fail. The only thing someone can do to help your insecurity is to fail. That there will always be someone that has more than you. And here's the issue. We think that if that happens to them that we'll feel better. But they're not the problem. Secondly, we have to realize that your circumstances are not the problem. For a lot of us, we boil down the formula of our insecurity to gaining and losing. If I gain this, I'll be good. If I lose this, 
I'll be good. The truth is we think if we could just get this talent or if we could lose enough to fit into this dress size, that's not me, but some of you, if I could get this thing, if I could have this money, if I could have this house, if I could be with this person, that we wouldn't be insecure anymore. And there's nothing wrong with goals. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But what a lot of us do is we think that acquiring that or losing that is tied to our identity. But what happens when you get the thing you want? You know what happens. The insecurity's still there. You want something else and you still feel insecure. When it comes to our insecurity, they can't do anything about it. Our circumstances won't change it. The problem is someone else, namely me. Realize that I am the problem. I am the problem. Insecurity makes you your own worst enemy. And if not checked, it ends bitterly. Look at how this ended for here. Look at this bitter life ruin. Verse 19 simply says this, but when Herod died, a lot of people believe that this happened within the year Herod passed away. Think about how this man died. He died tragically, bitterly, and ultimately alone. In fact, scholars uh, have written that before Herod's death, he actually did this. He imprisoned some citizens there in Jerusalem He knew no one would mourn him at his death. So he ordered at the moment of his death for those citizens to be killed so that there would be mourning in Jerusalem at the time of his death. How crazy. You see, insecurity ultimately ends in insanity. It ultimately ends in insanity. He kills babies and toddlers. He killed many members of his court. He even killed family members. He killed three of his sons. He killed his wife. The emperor, who also is very cruel, said this about Herod. I would rather be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. A man surrounded by death. Death physically, death spiritually, death relationally, emotionally. And my question for you is where is your insecurity leading you to? Might not be physical death, could be a relational death, an emotional death, could just be a death of joy in your life. I want to finish by going back to our wise men because they're the key to all of this. How do we deal with our insecurity? A wise celebration received. Look at verse 9 with me. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now think about this. These men were powerful as well. 
These men were powerful as well. In fact, some translations call these men rulers. In fact, you've heard the song, We Three Kings. Some, some translations even go that far to say these were actually small rulers or small kings. Yet you don't see an ounce of insecurity in them here. Herod and the wise men share the same chapter, but not the same heart. Wise men traveled far to see Jesus. Herod stayed right there in his city. Wise men presented their treasures to honor Jesus. Herod tried to kill Jesus. The wise men saw Jesus. But all Herod could see was himself. And as a result, Herod's obituary will always be known for one thing. The first person to reject Jesus. The first person to reject Jesus, all because of insecurity. So how do we fight insecurity? How do we fight the insecurity that we're faced with, those moments in our lives that we've pushed this stuff down, and those moments that come up where we want to react in a certain way? How do we fight that? We fight it the same way we see the wise men fighting it. We celebrate. Celebrating breaks insecurity. Moving the focus off of yourself. We celebrate with others. We fellowship. It's what we call fellowship. It's this idea of celebrating with others. You know how hard it is to be insecure or feel insecure when we're celebrating others' accomplishments and truly going after that? In fact, for some of you, I would, I would give you a challenge. Get really close to the people that make you insecure and publicly celebrate them. Just try that. Just discipline yourself to do that. For some of you are like, hey, am I supposed to celebrate them even if I don't mean it? Yeah, go ahead and try it. Because the discipline of that will begin to change your own heart. But we've got to learn to celebrate with others. It's this idea of fellowship. Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. The insecure person will always do the opposite of this. They'll rejoice with those who mourn. And they'll mourn, mourn with those who are rejoicing. So switch it. Go back to Romans 12, 15. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And, and lastly, we've got to celebrate with God. It's this idea of worship. It's not just what we do when we sing. It's this moment in our heart where we forget about ourselves and focus in on God. And that is where insecurity cannot stand. Insecurity will always tell you it's not fair. Insecurity will always tell you it's not fair. But in light of who God is, what do we really deserve? In light of the cross, God doesn't owe us anything. So celebrate with God what he's done for you and who he is. Man, we have everything if we have Christ. Celebrate with God. Kneel at the manger of the true king. Bow your heart and your kingdom of insecurity to the true king. Give that to him. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. In the quiet of this moment, I just, I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you insecure?
What insecurity is stealing your Christmas? What insecurity is stealing others' Christmas? Whose success do you not want to celebrate? Who do you talk bad about? Who do you refuse to acknowledge or praise for their abilities? Who is the person that has achievements that make you feel insecure? Who do you secretly want to see fail? You see, it's not about them. It's not about what we gain or what we lose. For a lot of us, we're sick of feeling this way. For a lot of us, maybe, maybe we've got it tight-lipped. Maybe no one knows we're insecure. Maybe we've kept it under wraps. Maybe we've been thankful that we've not had the, the right situation that's caused us to react in an insecure way. But it's still sitting down there in their hearts. And it's going to lead you down a paranoid, insane ride that's going to leave you bitter and resentful. Are you sick of feeling this way? Are you ready to move on? It's time to bow our hearts to this King. Not Herod, but the King Jesus. It's time to celebrate. To celebrate what He's doing. And to celebrate others. Then, then and then, then and only then, will joy come into our hearts this season. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us, Lord. God, each one of us in here may be dealing with insecurity. Each one of us in here has levels of that, our hang-ups that are sitting there. And God, the reality of Christmas is you have come to set us free from the power of those hang-ups. So Lord, I pray this year, God, that there wouldn't be these, these moments or these heart things of insecurity, God, that you could set us free from that, that we could learn to celebrate you, Jesus, that God, you've given us everything. If we have you, Jesus, we have all that we will ever need. And if we can really realize it, it's really even all we ever desire. God, set us free from our insecurity today. Help us to worship you in spirit and truth that we would bow our hearts to you, God. In Jesus' name.